0: Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how close are we to a COVID-19 vaccine? The new normal. That phrase, the new normal. It riles a lot of people up the wrong way, but it's what we've been told we're stuck with until and or unless there is a vaccine developed for COVID-19. And there was big news on that front this week, or what seemed to be big news, with encouraging noises being made from Oxford and China, with interim results from phase two studies published about candidate vaccines. But actually across the world, there are 114 vaccines in preclinical trials. 10 have moved into phase one, which are small scale safety trials. Another 10 are in phase two, expanded safety trials. And three have moved to phase three of wider testing where effectiveness is assessed. For shorthand in this episode, we'll refer to the Oxford vaccine and the China vaccine. They've both moved to phase three, which will include randomised trials of thousands of people in various countries around the world. The vaccines are different, but as The Lancet, the science journal which published both studies simultaneously explains, they are also related in some ways. So what could this mean for us and our future with this virus? Should we be cautiously optimistic or is that even too optimistic? You'll have heard a lot this week in particular about the Oxford AstraZeneca candidate vaccine, not because it has more potential than the China one, but most likely because of its proximity to us here in Ireland. At The Explainer, we wanted to get behind the headlines to help answer some of the questions we have about these vaccines. So I'm going to be joined by Dr Teresa Lam, Associate Professor at the Jenner Institute at Oxford University, who had a lead role in the vaccine development team there. But first, we're going to hear from Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet Journal, as he explains the key differences and similarities between how the China vaccine and the Oxford vaccine are being developed.
1: Well, they, the, the China vaccine is a recombinant adenovirus vectored vaccine. And what it's doing is expressing the what's called the spike gene from uh, the coronavirus Um, and it's based upon a virus that was widely prevalent in Wuhan. The Oxford virus is a chimpanzee adenovirus um, viral vector, and that also expresses the spike protein as well. So they do have differences, but they are also uh, related. They both have a very impressive impact on generating both antibody related and what's called cellular related immunity and that i think is the the great step forward that both of these studies um, are telling us that that both arms of the immune response can be provoked can be stimulated um, by the these two vaccines and that's why i think we can be hopeful as we go into the phase three studies
0: so Teresa, thanks for joining us. Uh, Would you just be able to tell us a little bit about your vaccine?
2: So what we've done is we've used a platform technology. um, And in our case, the platform technology is an adenovirus. um, And adenoviruses are viruses that we've all been exposed to and will typically give us um, a common cold. But what we've done is we've taken this adenovirus and we've crippled it. So it's no longer able to replicate. So it won't be able to give us a cold. So then what we do is we use this platform to express or to mimic uh, somewhat a different type of virus. So in this case, we looked at SARS-CoV-2. We looked to see what part of that virus we thought would be very good to induce a strong immune response against. And we took that part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, so the spike protein that is on the outside of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and put it into our platform technology, into our adenovirus. So in essence, what we're doing is tricking uh, our immune system into thinking that we're seeing the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We obviously aren't. And inducing an immune response against a part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus when we use our vaccine. Other vaccines um, will essentially grow up the SARS-CoV-2 virus, attenuate it, and use that. And they're known as inactivated vaccines. And there are lots of other platform technologies but we're using an adenoviral vector backbone, expressing a small part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. I hope that makes sense.
0: That does. How did you go about testing it when you had the initial um, thought process of doing it this way? Um, and what do those initial tests tell you that you can move forward then on to, to phase two?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually even going to go back even further um, than phase one and phase two. So we started, I started this vaccine development in January and we had already been involved in making a vaccine against a different coronavirus, the MERS coronavirus. So what we did was we used our knowledge of the vaccine, the MERS coronavirus, and applied it to the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. So we looked to use the same target, the spike protein. We stuck it into our platform technology. We expressed our vaccine, and then you have to test it preclinically. So, you have to do some animal studies before you can move into humans. And the, this is part of every rigorous clinical trial that um, is run. So, we did our preclinical testing, we got a good um, safety profile of our vaccine, and then we started our phase one clinical trials. Um, and what we reported in the Lancet yesterday, although it seems like a week ago, um, was the results from our phase one clinical trials of the vaccine being administered to over a thousand individuals.
0: How do you go about getting those a thousand individuals, the human individuals, to trial a, a vaccine for the very first time?
2: It's a controlled and regulated process. So we um essentially generate a participant information sheet. And what that means in English is We have um, information about the vaccine we are testing, the pros and the cons. It goes to an ethics committee to ensure that what we are saying is representative. And of course it is. And then we use um, both social media and other means of communicating to the wider world and the Internet, et cetera, um, to recruit vaccinees. We show them videos. We also show them uh, pamphlets. And all of those have been through a rigorous ethical review before we share the information.
0: And why do people take part? What's the motivating factor for for those who who do take part?
2: This trial was oversubscribed really rapidly. I think people are really urged to do something, to try and help get us out of this pandemic as quickly as possible. Um, And we're seeing older adults and vulnerable populations um, being secluded and people really want to do things to help.
0: We've heard, you know, different news, news reports over the last 24 hours, you know, that this this vaccine has been ordered already. But obviously there's still quite a ways to go. Um, but what, what of this was the most promising? Like what, what has excited you about what you saw in, in these tests?
2: We were obviously hopeful that we would get a particular immune response after vaccination. Um, And we've obviously used this platform technology before, so we we knew it probably had a good chance of inducing both antibodies and T cells, Um, but obviously we had to test it. And when we did, we saw the right type of response that we think might mediate protection. But what we don't know yet is what level of a response we need to induce to, to protect against coronavirus. So we need ongoing studies. So we need larger trials and we're pursuing those to test the efficacy of the vaccine. And what I mean by that is to test to see in our control arm if we get more SARS-CoV-2 infections compared to the arm where we vaccinated individuals with our test vaccine. So we're, we're hoping to see less cases in that arm of the vaccine. So the results that I was particularly happy about was the um, high level of T-cells and also the high level of neutralizing antibodies. So neutralizing antibodies are when you get exposed to a pathogen or a vaccine, you mount antibodies. And antibodies can be almost thought of as a sticky glue. They will stick to the outside in some cases of the virus. And in doing so, they will stop the virus getting into your cells. So they stop the infection in its tracks. What T cells do is they recognise when a cell has already been infected by a virus and they kill it, they target it, so it means that the virus can't spread and cause severe disease. So we were hopeful that we would see both arms of the immune response and we did. Again, I have to reiterate, we don't know what level is needed for protection and we need more trials to test that. Also we saw um, a low level reactogenicity and what I mean by that is the vaccine didn't induce any serious adverse events. So typically when we administered the vaccine, you'd feel your arm would be a little sore. You would feel like you had flu-like symptoms for about 24 hours, but they would generally rapidly resolve and paracetamol definitely helped. So those were the results that we were uh, particularly excited about
0: when you when we talk about antibodies and T cells do you know how long they would last in the system or do you know how long they need to last for this vaccine to be uh, effective
2: the simple answer is no but we are doing studies to follow up all the volunteers out to a year and I suspect we'll probably try and look um, at responses longer than a year we don't know yet from natural exposure or infection the level of our of antibodies that are needed to prevent reinfection. But those studies are ongoing and they will certainly help inform our clinical trials.
0: So these people, who the 1,007 people who did take part in this trial, are they protected against COVID now?
2: We simply don't know. uh, And that's what our efficacy trial will test. So we need to wait and see if individuals who got the control vaccine, if there's more cases in that cohort of people compared to our vaccinees that got the test vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. So we'll only know that after we've had a number of cases.
0: You've mentioned some of the side effects there. Is there anything from this trial that you are worried about?
2: Is there anything that I'm worried about? Um, I'd like to get a couple of weekends off, but no. (laughs) No, there isn't anything.
0: That was actually going to be my next question, so it leads to that. You mentioned that you started your overall work in January. what's the size of your team and how intense has the work been? I think for lay people, you know, we imagine, you know, that th- this rush is more like, you know, something you'd see in a Hollywood movie. Is it something like that? Or is it very much just your everyday work? And it's just now that a lot more people are interested in it.
2: It's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, so if I if I describe what a typical trial and vaccine development looks like, you, you can probably appreciate how it's different in this case. So, um, Typically, what you will do when you're developing a vaccine is you will design it then you will do some limited preclinical testing. And then if that's promising, you will go on to your phase one trial. And again, if that's promising, you'll try and get money for phase two, phase three. And and generally, as a side action, you will be looking to manufacture at scale. But you generally won't progress that very rapidly until you you know that you've got a vaccine that works and you know that it um, generates the immune response you want to see. We pretty much did all of that as soon as we could and um, so we did everything with the same rigorous protocols and safety in mind that you would do with any clinical trial but what we did was we had everything lined up to go so if we got the right results from the animal studies we were ready to go with the phase one if the phase one looked promising etc we rolled out into larger trials um, so, and manufacturing is happening at risk at the moment because we obviously haven't demonstrated efficacy, um, so we're just doing everything that we would normally do um, in parallel as opposed to uh, sequentially, if that makes sense. The team started really small in January, I think it was about three of us, and I couldn't guess how many people there are at both the clinical and lab side at this stage it would number i think we have 250 plus authors on the paper um and that's not everybody involved
0: so what's next when you have to stop doing media in the next couple of days what's your next job then for this vaccine we're really
2: um, interested in the efficacy trials so we've pushed on to phase three so we have vaccinated over 8,000 individuals within the uk across Um, at least 18 sites. And we've also extended our studies to South Africa and also Brazil. Um, And we have partnered with AstraZeneca um, and they will deliver a trial in the US and other sites. So we're really trying to um, test our vaccine as rigorously as possible um, and test to see if there is efficacy. So that's the next task. The other thing I should mention, which is a smaller ask, is that we obviously, when you're doing a vaccine, phase one clinical trial, you tend to use um, adults that are 18 to 55 that don't have comorbidities or are not ill. Because the individuals who are most at risk are older adults from this vaccine, the immediate ask that we're doing, the question that we're seeking to answer is does the vaccine work uh, as well in older adults, so those aged 55 to 69 and over 70s. Um, so we're testing our vaccine um, in older adults as well.
0: If absolutely everything goes to plan and you're doing your simultaneous planning, when would you hope that this is out in the world and and um, vaccinating priority groups?
2: I've got that question a lot in the last couple of days. Um, and I'm afraid I can't hazard a guess. It really depends on transmission of the virus so obviously, early on in the clinical trials um, with transmission, when we started when with transmission in the UK was relatively high. We were hopeful that we would get an efficacy readout relatively soon, so we'd know whether the vaccine was effective at stopping infection and disease. Um, but because lockdown has been so successful, thankfully, uh, transmission within the UK has lessened so we don't know when we will get an efficacy readout Um, we're obviously testing across lots of different sites now and they have different levels of transmission so uh, we're hopeful we'll get one soon but uh, i couldn't commit to a date
0: so as i mentioned earlier there are over 160 vaccines in development there's the the china vaccine was in the lancet uh, this week as well are all these vaccines different
2: um the technology of each of the vaccines varies slightly but they all aim to induce an immune response that will protect you against disease and i'm hopeful that there will be more than one vaccine that can do that so that we have a strategy to generate enough vaccines that can protect the world or the majority of uh, the individuals across the globe against SARS-CoV-2
0: Are you all helping each other? How does the scientific community work when it is this, like this kind of race? Um, Are you making sure you're not doubling up on work or is it a good thing that if some work is doubling up on, what are the lines of communications?
2: It has been unprecedented, the level of collaboration and cooperation globally. And we are obviously um, working with CEPI and WHO and other large vaccine manufacturers and contributors to share our results in a timely manner. So this isn't a race against each other. It's a race against the virus. And that's certainly the way that we're approaching it.
0: A lot of people's kind of simplest interpretation of a vaccine is that, you know, we get injected with a little bit of the virus and then that protects us. Is that too simple now um, in 2020 or, or are those kind of um, vaccines happening?
2: No, some of those vaccines are definitely um being progressed in clinic and, um, we so our vaccine essentially will make a small part of the virus so one protein on the outside of the SARS-CoV-2 virus so in no way do we have a live virus a live SARS-CoV-2 virus um, that is being injected but um, we and others are expressing a small part of the SARS-CoV-2 so one protein the spike protein And in that way, we mount an immune response against that protein and hopefully prevent infection.
0: Is the hope that there will be herd immunity, like is the hope that we would get a vaccine to a huge percentage of the population to to achieve that?
2: Um, We and other vaccine manufacturers are certainly hopeful that we can generate vaccines that would allow us to uh, get out of the pandemic safely with a vaccination strategy.
0: Will there be a challenge, do you think, in uptake due to misinformation and uh, other anti-vax campaigns that have you know, taken, taken ground over the last few years or probably have always been here with us?
2: The honest answer is I don't know what the vaccine uptake will be like. I would be hopeful that it would be high, um, but we need to respect individuals' wishes and communicate effectively to try and Uh, assuage any concerns that an individual would have about a vaccine.
0: Thanks, Emil, for all of that, Teresa, and for all the work that you've been doing over the last six months. Um, it will be interesting to see how this rolls out over um, whenever that is, if it's this year, next year, or the year after. Um, we know that Britain has already ordered 100,000 doses of this Oxford vaccine. Um, from an Irish perspective, we'll be part of the European Union block of negotiating states. So there is already advanced purchase agreements where there'll be upfront funding for pharmaceutical companies developing the these vaccines um and then there will be orders made when it's actually developed and being distributed and um, so we'll be part of that we will see priority groups vaccinated first so healthcare workers and um, older people people in more vulnerable uh, communities because if you think about it before we roll it out to the whole entire block we'd need 300 million vaccinations if there's one dose or with a lot of vaccinations you need two doses and that's what we've been talking about and um, that's the 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 thinking that will be needed behind this oxford vaccine so there'd be 600 million doses needed so we have to um, ensure priority groups get first access again thank you so much teresa for coming on to the explainer today thank you for listening to the explainer and a big thank you to teresa for joining us today If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the COVID pandemic, but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you felt it is important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have contributed. A lot of you asked if there was a way you could give more regularly. We now have options to become a regular contributor. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and was edited by Laura Byrne. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.